Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Epiphany 2 in Year A. We started our series last week called Jesus Appears. We don't hear much in Scripture about the childhood of Jesus, just a couple accounts in Luke's Gospel. Um, But when he does come on the scene at his baptism, as we discussed last time, we do begin to hear a lot about Jesus' identity. So last week we talked about Jesus appearing making an epiphany as the anointed one. And today we're thinking about Jesus appearing as the Lamb of God. With us today, uh, by the way, I'm John Mitchell, um, our moderator, and with us today and throughout this uh, series in the epiphany season, Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin, Pastor Phil Hebner from Wisconsin Lutheran High School, and with us for today's episode, as he was last week, Professor Alan Sorum, who teaches at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. So thank you all for serving today. Let's jump into uh, this week's discussion. Phil Hebner, could you say a few words about this Sunday and its theme in our series, Jesus Appears as the Lamb of God? Well, John, as you mentioned, the great context of where we're at in the church year here with Epiphany and the appearance or the making manifest, the revealing of Jesus First, you know, on the epiphany to to the Magi, then at his baptism as the Lord speaks, which we did talk about last week. And now you have John the Baptist pointing to him in our text that we're going to focus on from John chapter one, pointing to the Lamb of God, revealing him as the one who takes away the sin of the world, which is so rich uh, for our discussion today. We can think about festival after festival, Passover after Passover, sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year, even day after day. All the blood that was shed throughout the years, not one of those sacrifices, not one of those animals or lambs could ever match up to the one that John points to, the one perfect lamb, the one perfect sacrifice who takes away sin. And not just for the person offering the sacrifice, not just for the Israelites, but for the sins of the world. So really looking forward to talking with you brothers about this text and the richness of uh, that statement of who our Savior, our sacrifice is the Lamb of God. Thank you, Phil. Let's go to Phil Kasmer next. Uh, We will be focusing on the gospel for the day as our sermon text, but uh, Phil, could you fill us in a little bit on the first and second readings and kind of set up the context that uh, the gospel um, will be in in the the church year today? On our first reading, we've got the prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 49, uh, verses 1 to 6. And as, as usual or, or normal, we have many of the notes that we're going to hit in the gospel pre-included here and prophesied ahead of time. Um, in Isaiah 49, uh, at the beginning and the end of this section, you definitely have the uh, gospel reach and the sins of the world uh, professed ahead of time. That's our joy as Gentiles, of course, generally. Uh, that God was not content just to have gospel for Israel, but gospel to the whole world. The servant would be the light who does that. Of course, the main emphasis in that text uh, is that this Messiah is uh, God's special servant called from before birth, chosen to be, and we're going to say that with Messiah and Christ. Uh, And it has beautiful tones. Um, His mouth is like a sharpened sword. He's a polished arrow, 
uh, and he's going to display God's splendor. I think the other thing you find in Isaiah 49 is the servant nature of the servant who says, I'm not laboring for myself um, and for my own gain, but my reward is with my God and uh, God is my strength. He's, he's bent on bringing about the salvation that God proclaims worldwide. Um, and then the second lesson that we have is from Colossians 2, Paul's letter, uh, which <clears throat> begins with some, some of the notes we might hit in the gospel, uh, perhaps secondarily about where we are at in Christian life and what we're doing. So Paul uh, says, continue to live your lives in Christ. See that nobody takes you captive with bad theology and philosophy. Uh, and then he gives the reason why in 9, 10, and 11, and 12. Because uh, we've got everything we need. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God who brings us to fullness. We've been uh, put off the sinful nature and buried with Christ in baptism and raised to life. Uh, but the main connection probably with the gospel text will be in the last couple verses, 13, 14, and 15, uh, where uh, we're made alive with Christ because he forgave us all our sins. Uh, they're taken away and nailed to the cross, and that's God's God's triumph, his victory that is ours too, the one we get to take away and live. Um, those two, I think, give us a good setting for the jewel of the gospel, the epiphany joy we've got in the Lamb of God. Thanks for those helpful summaries. Um, yeah, uh, fascinating stuff in both of those first readings. And yeah, you do see connections both uh, in both of them with the gospel for the day. And even with just John 1 29, um, there's so much in there. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to that now. Um, Alan, could you uh, get us started in thinking about the gospel for the day, John 1 29 to 41? Absolutely. So if I say John's gospel, I suspect uh, a couple of thoughts that come immediately to your mind is John's gospel is about testifying and witnessing. And the, another thing that you think of when you hear John's gospel, you think simple words, direct, simple words, profound thoughts. And I think those two themes are really uh, a, a strong and beautiful feature of the text, John 1, 29 to 41. Um, not so, not a lot of like exegetical gems we could pull out of there, but really like just wrestling with the story and wrestling with the with the content. I think one of the main things that's fun to wrestle with is just uh, John's saying in verse thirty. Um, this is the one referring to Jesus. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. <clears throat> and the, that's borderline uh, mystery. How could this all be? Except for what John is giving testimony to is um, the eternal nature of Christ as the uh, eternally begotten son of God. So John and Jesus had a very close connection in, in a human perspective. Uh, Jesus um, coming after John, um, but Jesus being before John because uh, of this unique eternal nature of Christ. 
So John's giving testimony to this. At the same time as he's able to give testimony to this, he's also saying, uh, here, look, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a, what a complete and beautiful, gorgeous testimony that John is giving to all kinds of people around him. And apparently, uh, John knit this testimony together from his own broad reading of the Old Testament scriptures, including, you know, the Isaiah passage that's uh, part of our consideration for this Sunday. Um, John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God, and then he uses, you know, very simple, very common construction of, uh, puts an article on a present participle. Here's the Lamb of God, the one who is characterized by forgiving sins. Just a, a beautiful testimony. And yet with all of this clear and beautiful testimony, um, John says, you don't know him, uh, and I wouldn't have known him if I had not seen this, the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit descending on him and remaining on him. Of course, you know, of course, these two men knew each other. Of course, they grew up together. So when John says, I didn't know him, um, it wasn't until perhaps maybe wrestling with human language it wasn't until I actually saw the Holy Spirit descend on him when I baptized him and remain on him. It wasn't until I actually heard the voice of the Father say, this is my son. It wasn't until that point that I was absolutely convicted, convinced, and absolutely certain that this, this man with whom I grew up is not merely a man. He is the eternal Christ of the Most High God. And we think of that struggle going forward with uh, with John being confused, perhaps at one point, you know, he sends to, he sends representatives to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Um, and then and Jesus sends back and he says to tell John what you see me doing. So it was the testimony of Jesus acts, bringing, launching the kingdom of God, helping people. Um, that 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 was the testimony of John, of Jesus to John to convince him of what he um, had already been convinced of um, at at the river. So that's like the mystery of being a human. Uh, not not always so easy to be a human. Not always so easy to know exactly what's going on, which which is why John's testimony is so absolutely important. He says, I know for an absolute fact, this truly is the son of God. I saw the spirit descend on him. And so it was John's witnessing that turned Andrew into a witness that compelled Andrew, having heard this witness, this certain witness that sent him to his brother, Peter, to say, now, we have found the Christ. There is no doubt. We have the uh, we have the Christ, and and again, as with Simon and Andrew and John and all of us human beings, you have the you have the sure witness, but you got to keep going back to that sure witness just to keep that strong confidence in your heart.
Yeah, the themes of testimony, they do really appear strongly here in this, in this section um, in different ways and kind of moving in different directions. Um, Alan, I don't know, can I spring a Greek question on you? Um, this is uh, kind of intrigued me, verse 31, I myself did not know him. Um, has that come up again in verse 33? Um, yeah, usually we think, so there's oido and gnosko, these two words for know. And, um, you know, oida, we often think of as head knowledge and gnosko, experiential knowledge. And generally, I tend to think of the gnosko knowledge as kind of a more thorough and complete knowledge. But here, it seems that John says, well, I, I knew Jesus experientially, you know, I knew who he was. But then when he says, I did not know him, he uses a form of oida there, if, if I'm not mistaken. So he was wrestling with maybe, you know, I knew who this person was, but maybe not fully comprehending quite yet until God's testimony, the testimony of the spirit clicks things into place for John. Um, is that maybe a fair way to, to express that verb there? I agree with your expression of it. Um, I, I wonder how far to take that. You know, I'm, yeah. um, I, I agree with, with what you're saying. Um, uh, your logic is, is perfect. And, and that obviously is the case by context and how much of that to hang on to his verb choice. Yeah. is maybe uh, a, a little up for debate but right no. right yeah I like, that's a good I like question i mean it's it's a it's a contextual thing that we understand from what john is saying as a whole here uh what his knowledge was like and where it came from i just think that this stands out to me as just an example of his his use of that verb but i don't want right i want don't want to put too much weight on it on that particular choice but rather the context uh comes through pretty clearly where his eyes are opened um his uh his understanding is uh being developed by what the father says to him um yeah and then you see that theme of development also in the the next section with the calling of the first disciples their eyes are being opened to the testimony of john that he has received now he's passing on to others um, and, and they will go on, of course, to pass it on to, to countless others in their work as apostles. Uh, but uh, let's get uh, Phil and Phil involved here, too. Um, your thoughts just on this text, either in reaction to what uh, Alan has said or um, further thoughts um, on that first section, John's testimony, or the second part of the text and the calling of the disciples. Um, can we uh, get some thoughts on, on how you might go about preaching this, this text or some thoughts that might be helpful to preachers as they approach this uh, beautiful section? Phil Hebner? I think one thing that just strikes me in the, in the text is the, the richness of God's grace, just the undeserved pouring out of grace. And I guess looking at the text again, um, just preparing for us to discuss today, thinking about, you know, why was John the Baptist even there in the first place? You know, we, we know he's the voice and the one preparing the way, but that assumes that you need to prepare the way. Uh, and what I mean by that is this, like the context of John chapter one, this is a world of darkness. 
we are lost and Jesus came to his own, his own didn't even recognize him. We're, we're so lost in this world or to bring in the flavoring of the epistle reading Colossians chapter two, all the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world and the spiritual forces that just we get so lost in. We need someone to come to us sent by God to point and say, look, here's the lamb. Here's what you need. You know, you're so lost in the darkness. Look at the light of the world. You're so lost in your sin. Look at the one who takes it all away. You're so lost in the deceptive philosophies of your age, whatever that age may be. Here's the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And, you know, so for God to send that, that messenger to proclaim and point, and here in the text, we see it not just once, but twice. He does it again the next day. He points and says, look, 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 look. And then, uh, as Alan said, for Andrew to do the same for his brother. I mean, what grace of God that he would do that for us through his word, through his messengers, you know, pastors, teachers, parents, um, friends who witness that point to uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, that's exactly what we need so lost in our sin. It's, it's only God's grace to A, provide the Lamb, and then B, provide people to point to the lamb for us. So I'll just start with that thought. God's incredible grace to do this for people then and for us now. Thanks, Phil Kasmer. Maybe related to that, a, a takeoff point or an application to make as you talk about what's, what's offered up so graciously by God, this brilliant taking away the sins of the whole world um, and these wonderful testimonies. In the second half, when Jesus speaks with the disciples, you have that, that question he asks, not who are you seeking, but what do you want? What are you looking for? And I think that can be a good jumping off point for a little reflection ourselves. As Phil said, we're in this world of darkness, this world that offers up so many philosophies and wisdoms and things and we are tempted to look for so many other things but god has set this brilliant jesus christ with the only thing that connects us to him uh, right before us in brilliant biblical testimony like john's and in simple testimony like andrew's um it's it's time to think about what what are what do we follow after what do we want what are we thinking of and is it in line with this beautiful gift god gives Right, that raises a good question for preachers to ponder, and I bet they have been already. Um, if you were to identify kind of a malady in this text, um, what would you point to? Um, I mean, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of course, we can speak about uh, the sins of the world in general, um, but what maybe stands out in this text in particular um, both of you, Phil and Phil, have hinted at kind of the uh, maybe false ideas about who Jesus is. And then here we have uh, the beautiful testimonies coming through that clarifies who Jesus is. Um, is that where you might go with a kind of a malady, Phil Hebner? I'll just jump off the previous thought real quick before others jump in. Um, I just keep thinking in my mind. If we were already looking at the Lamb of God with focus, we wouldn't need someone to say to us, look, you know. Uh, and so I guess my mind goes to the malady or the sin of what we've kind of been talking about, that we're so 
lost and whatever is our personal sin or deceptive philosophy that we're lost in our age. I need someone to tell me to look because I take my eyes off of Christ and the Lamb of God so often. I guess that's where I would first go with sin in the in preaching this. Yeah, good thoughts. And then then the gospel uh, addresses that too in the ways that we've mentioned. Uh, Phil Kasmer, further thought on that? Um, I just think the you know John's testimony is so clear and brilliant. Um, anytime you have sort of this distinctive declaratory specific kind of revelation, I always um, wonder if the if part of the malady must be that I can mischaracterize it. I need to look, but it's something very specific that God provides. It is the removal of my sin in this Christ. Um, because part of the trouble of our world is that we even look to Jesus sometimes for, for weird stuff. Um, or, you know, we want him to be our buddy. Or the world says he's a teacher or whatever it is. Um, but, but John is so specific. Like, God said this would happen. And he has this, and I'm going to testify to it. And so I think uh, paying attention to that content, too, is something I can easily miss. Alan? Yeah, just to, I was thinking the same thing, Phil, that you were just expressing. And in the context of the, uh, the corrupt current church of Jesus' day coming out to see John, um, John was in the wilderness. He was dressed in an odd way. Jesus came from Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? All of these in such sharp distinction of what's going on in the corrupt church of Jesus' day with their fine clothes and in the capital city and, and seeking status. What, what made John the Baptist and Jesus' testimony so clear was how different it, it was compared to what the corrupt church was talking about. The corrupt church of Jesus' day was into status and submission to human laws and uh, attention to external details, uh, there's a new game in town. And you, in order to get the new game, you have to go out of town. And, and where, where, there's, where you're confronted with nothing but reality, the facade and the games are all gone. It's the father's looking for those who seek him in spirit and in truth. That just uh, beautifully illustrated the point that you were making Phil, so beautifully illustrated by the by the uh, environment in which this is all happening. Right. So we have, um, yeah, the the lack of clarity, or maybe the just the our, our kind of stubborn refusal to uh, see Jesus for who He is. Um, but that addressed by the grace of God giving these testimonies, um, He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and that is so full of gospel richness there, too. And then as Phil Hebner has, has highlighted, uh, additional gospel in that he comes to us in our confusion or um, this lack of clarity and sends people to point us back to here is Jesus, 
take a look at him, or as Phil Kasmer mentioned, you know, make this uh, zero, make us zero in on this is the identity of Jesus and what he does for us uh, that John highlights so beautifully here. So kind of that, that lack of clarity addressed by the gospel of Jesus, the Lamb of God, and God's testimony to us about that. Um, what would you suggest uh, for preachers to think about in terms of uh, some applications? I know you've mentioned some already in regard to the kind of the malady and the cure, but um, other applications that uh, suggest themselves from the text here? Alan? Uh, again, <clears throat> just uh, picking up on something Phil said, when in our witnessing, so often we get tempted to do a do some apologetics, you know, like we got to defend six day creation, or we have to talk about the, well, you know, actually the Bible is the word of God. And we get distracted from that, which really matters. I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about. But the first and most important thing to talk about is what do you do with Christ? Who is he? What is he here for? He's here to, to reconcile you to God and to forgive you your sins. And once that's in place, now we can have all kinds of other conversations. But the order and the emphasis is really clear in our witnessing. Phil Kasner? I, we haven't <clears throat> touched a bunch on it. I do think the the main emphasis of the text is in this characterization of who Christ is, but um, then there's also the reception of it. Uh, and I just noted looking, you know, through this again, there's kind of two or three main actions for us, you know, like verse 37, um, they heard what John said, and then they followed after Jesus, which are good. Uh, those are, those are the things we need to do Hear what God says about this person and then follow after him which I think would be a decent illustration as well. But, uh, and then after that, it's testimony. Um, hear, follow, tell. You know, if I'm looking for actions for people <clears throat> after I have rightly explained all of this beauty, um, I think those fit well. And if I could piggyback on your point about hearing Jesus, um, I've sometimes included in that also verse 39, uh, not only them hearing, look, the Lamb of God from John's mouth, but then they spent the day with Jesus. And I'm sure that was a day filled with just sitting there, uh, soaking in what Jesus was teaching them. Um, and um, yeah, and maybe th that uh, homiletically, um, that verse is maybe a, a point at which to yeah, go back, reemphasize the truth. What, what was Jesus teaching them? We don't know. Can we guess that he was maybe unpacking this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Um, John's testimony a little bit and, and expounding on that and, and teaching them that, clarifying what he came to do um, and who he was being revealed as. Um, but yeah, I think uh, evangelism applications are natural here, um, not just for the sake of uh, this text is all about, uh, here's what you need to do now, but uh, rather, God's grace in bringing that clear gospel to us about who Jesus is, and us, as Alan said, too, having the privilege now to share that clear gospel centered on Christ and his work uh, with others, hearing, following, sharing. Phil Hebner? I love those thoughts, and um, it's so comforting there, and I agree with it. The missional and evangelism type thoughts here, and 
that certainly ties in with Isaiah 49, right? It's too small a thing just for the tribe of Israel, the Gentiles, the light for the world. You know, he's the one who takes away the sins of the world. So there's that outreach and the, the pointing, the look thing. But I also want to just mention the extreme personal comfort that the testimony brings, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love that there's no specific sin mentioned. It's just hamartia. I love that it says of the world. There's nothing that leaves a question mark for me and, and how I get caught in, again, the, the philosophies of the world and I don't look to the Christ. There's nothing that I have done that isn't covered by this sacrifice. I don't have to go back to the priest and bring another lamb, ram, goat, or bull. He's the one who takes all the sin of every kind of every person in the whole world. And that brings such personal comfort to me and hopefully to the hearer of the message as well. That this, this one who is for all that we do is also so personally for me and what, what great comfort that is. Yeah, and you see both of those truths, uh, the global, uh, global aspect of the gospel, the sins of the world. Um, right, yeah, I love that in Isaiah 49, 6. Uh, too small a thing um, uh, for me to be the savior only of Israel. Uh, I must shine the light out to the whole world, says the savior. Um, so the global aspect of it, but yeah, all that, also that personal aspect in the first section, this is John testifying how God made clear to him who Jesus was personally. And then um, it's John doing that for Peter. Uh, and you see that reaching his heart and he's got to tell his brother. Um, so person to person, um, the global gospel reaches people personally too. Um, further thoughts uh, that might be helpful to preachers. Any reflections, Phil Casper? I do like too that um, you know you talk about this brilliant Christ. He's God's chosen one, but the servant nature is is hinted at or or, or put on display a little bit even in this text when the disciples come and Jesus receives them. Like, come and see. Um, he doesn't turn them away. He takes them along. And, and then he tells them whatever he told them, um, but, but he doesn't turn them aside. And he doesn't do that for us either. He receives us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Alan? Yeah, um, let me start this just for fun. Um, talking about witnessing. Witnessing in our current world where the operative worldview is has rejected the universal and the individual for the group. And according to the doctrine of social justice theory, everyone in the group experiences the same thing. Everyone in the minority group is oppressed. Uh, everyone in that group uh, has to uh, recognize that they're, they're helpless. And the outcome of the focus on groups is actually toxic and not at all helpful to the people who are oppressed in the group. And here you have the, the, the corrective. Here you have how to witness to people who are exhausted by a, 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 an imputed sense of permanent victimhood or people who are exhausted by being angry all the time or exhausted at the notion of being uh, in a situation that's hopeless. 
because of an oppressive majority culture. I mean, the, this is the worldview of our time. And what you have here are, are the antidotes or the corrective or, or the sweet gospel where the universal is affirmed for God so loved the world, the one taking away the sins of the world. But you still have the loving, tender, committed one-on-one -on -one approach where brother goes to brother, sister goes to sister, person goes to person. Um, I'm not sure we're ready to go down that road, but um, just the other day I was invited to give uh, um, a devotion to college students, and, and I sure wanted to talk about this with young people who are just, you know, they're the ones that are going into this world that has just lost appreciation for the, for the universal and for the individual. Right, good points, good points that, um, yeah, this is the antidote, um, both, uh, yeah, for emphasizing the, the universal um, gospel message, the love of God for the whole world, and the love of God for each individual. Um, yeah, good thoughts, good thoughts to ponder in our current context. Um, any closing thoughts or, or other suggestions for preachers that might be helpful or uh ideas for actually preaching this text or how to approach structuring a sermon, anything like that do you want to suggest? Uh, Phil Hebner? I did preach on this text uh, once or twice in the past, and I think I had a, um, a simple kind of two-part sermon, you know, the Lamb of God, and the, the part one was look to the Lamb, addressing us personally, and then part two was point to the Lamb. Uh, you know, once you have that information, to, to point to others like uh, both John and Andrew did in the text. I was thinking of something similar. Yeah, kind of the, the two themes um, explaining Jesus is the lamb, uh, focusing on that uh, just because it's such a, a powerful picture um, and so memorably stated here by John. Um, and then the second part, yeah, Jesus sending others to testify. So kind of that uh, similar uh, thematic approach. Other ideas or suggestions for preachers? Phil Kasmer? Um, I do think we can do a, a fairly powerful illustration in this with the, um, maybe not powerful, but uh, connecting illustration that we follow all sorts of people. We do the social media thing all over the place. And that is kind of the question here. Who do you follow? Um, I've preached on this a few times too. I like I think I like most the very straightforward look the Lamb of God kind of thing because there's just beautiful straightforward stuff to say. Um, I've inducted it once and done come and you will see and kind of discover together as you go along and, and get down to the idea of you're going to do the same thing and that may be all you have to say. Come and you'll see. So, Yeah, that's good to kind of uh, put yourself in the place of, of Andrew here um, and and John, and uh, what, uh, what are you going to see in Jesus? So he's the Lamb of God, and he's the one who uh, equips us to, to share with the world his grace and his gospel. All right, well, uh, let's wrap it up for today, but thank you very much, Alan, Phil, and Phil, uh, for sharing your thoughts on this beautiful text, focusing our preachers and all whom they reach um, with this gospel of grace that is for all the world. Jesus appears as the Lamb of God. God bless you as you preach that message.